right. Hey, everyone. Welcome to the Jesus Famous uh, podcast. Today, we've got a special episode in that uh, it's a solo episode. My trusty co-host, Riley Monzo, is unable to be in the studio today with a scheduling conflict. So it's just me, Nate Holdridge, chilling alone in the studio Doing a little uh, recap today of our recent Sunday study in Nehemiah chapter 11 and 12, where we talked about how God renews his people with joyful dedication. Uh, Now, one thing I want to uh, point out is that these Jesus Famous podcast episodes, these of course are not uh, a teaching in and of themselves. Uh, Some of these episodes, like we're doing today, are reflecting on the study, the teaching, the sermon, whatever you want to call it, that we looked at uh, as a church together on Sunday. So if you'd like to go and listen to or watch those teachings, go to uh, either wherever you listen to podcasts or calvary.com where we host the audio and video of those teachings. Uh, Our church YouTube page is a place that you can watch those teachings. Uh, Many different places that you can go to listen to or watch uh, these sermons, catch them in their entirety. And then what this is meant to be is kind of a follow-up discussion, a bit of an overflow. I was talking to a pastor friend of mine recently, and we were just sharing with each other about how in study to present the Word of God, Uh, there's a real discipline that's required to only say what uh, is most important to be said, what the Spirit is leading you to say. And you actually have to leave quite a bit on the cutting room floor, so to speak. So many things that you can't get into, that you can't touch on. And so for us, we're hoping that this is a bit of an overflow. There's what can be said in the context of a larger Sunday gathering, uh, but perhaps there's more, or perhaps we can take a second look and allow the truth of the word to saturate our hearts even further. Now, I want to say today, I've really enjoyed this series in the book of Nehemiah on a lot of levels. For, For one, if you've been at our live gatherings, One of the things that we've been doing during this series that we don't normally do as a church, though many churches do this, is we've had someone in the congregation reading the scripture. Uh, Now, I've enjoyed this because I enjoy seeing different people in the church up on the church stage behind the pulpit, different types of people. Uh, I also enjoy praying for those people. So yesterday in our time together, we had a young father reading the scripture, and I loved praying for him, but also by extension praying for all the young fathers in the church that are just trying to figure out how to be a dad, how to be a leader in their homes, how to serve their family like Christ loved the church. And uh, I've enjoyed that. But As far as Nehemiah itself is concerned, I have to be honest, I've never really taught it this way before. And I think I mean two things by that. For one, I've never taught it fully from the vantage point of studying what God is like through the book of Nehemiah. So we've been calling this whole series, God Renews His People. That's 
really what the book of Nehemiah is about. God is the active figure. He's using people like Nehemiah to accomplish his purpose of renewing his people, his people who were uh, stuck in the muck and mire of basically atrophy for a long time. Nehemiah comes onto the scene. He's God's instrument so that God can renew his people. So each teaching and chapter and episode, we've been thinking about how God renews his people. And I think that's different for me in that I've taught Nehemiah before, um, you know, in, in a sense, not not overly leaning into the, hey, here's a man of God, here's how to be a good leader. I haven't overly leaned into that, but that's probably been a predominant theme at the very least of the teachings that I've given in the past. And then probably a second style that I've used in teaching the book of uh, Nehemiah is just a little bit more of an explanatory style, just kind of looking at each verse, explaining what is. I've probably used that style a little bit more in like Bible college settings than in church uh, Bible study settings. Uh, But here I've been uh, really seeking to take that uh, angle of God's renewal of his people. So that's been a little bit different for me this time around. And Full disclosure, I mean, I received that angle really from the best. I mean, for one, in recent years, I think I've matured and developed a little bit more as a Bible teacher and have seen the Christ-centered angle of Scripture and that God is the hero, Christ is the hero. I'm meant to exalt him as I'm declaring the word. I'm not to put huge burdens upon God's people in the declaration of the word. Uh, like the Pharisees would. So for me, I think when I began approaching Nehemiah this time, I thought there's got to be a different way to communicate this book. Not that I'm trying to avoid saying anything that needs to be said. I want to say whatever's there, but is that really what's there? Is this a leadership manual? I don't think so. I think this is a story of God doing what he always does, reaching out to renew his people. So, um, that was kind of an inkling in my heart, but then I was led to teachers like J.I. Packer who really kind of put flesh to it for me and helped me see it in their writings and teachings on the book of Nehemiah. So I've been blessed by some great scholars and thinkers to help me with that. I think another thing that's been different, frankly, is uh, the pace that we've used or employed throughout this book. And I've really enjoyed that as well. Now, before getting into or thinking about this last study, uh, I do want to do just a a, a tiny bit of, um, I hope it's not promo because I don't know, when I think of promotion, I think of something that Uh, whoever's doing the promoting is going to financially benefit from, and I get no financial benefit for what I'm about to promote. But I wanted to talk to you for a second about the work that I do at nateholdridge.com. That's, of course, my name uh, in a web address. So nateholdridge.com, no spaces. And that is a place that I put a lot of my writing and audio and video teaching. It's basically an outlet for me to be able to share uh, for free the content of teaching that God has given to me over the years. So uh, for those of you who aren't familiar with nateholdridge.com, each week I post 
uh, on five different days, five different types of resources. Uh, the biggest one and probably the most popular one that people in our church at least receive from is the Sunday manuscript. So early on Sunday morning around 7 o'clock, uh, those who have subscribed to the email list from nateholdridge.com, which you can get for free at nateholdridge.com slash subscribe, or just go to the website itself and a little pop-up window will eventually show up asking you if you want to subscribe. Uh, but on Sunday mornings around 7 o'clock, my full written teaching that I'm about to give that morning will show up in your email inbox. Uh, for those of you that are in life groups in the church where you're discussing the previous Sunday's text and teaching, this can be a really helpful resource. Now, now you get that via email if you sign up for the list, but it's also just there at nateholdridge.com. So that's the Sunday post. Uh, on Monday, we post an archival post. So I think at this point, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm well into the thousands as far as articles that I've written goes. So, uh, you know, a lot of times those get lost in the shuffle. So what we do is we just find a, an older post from the last six or seven years. I think the site's been up in its current form for about six years. And we find an older article that uh, is still pertinent today, and most of them are because they're not current event kind of articles, but they're just written about scripture, devotionals, some of them short, some of them long, and we repost those on Monday, kind of drawing your attention to something uh, that we covered in the past. And for most people, that's not even a revisit, it's a, it's a first-time visit because uh, they never read the original piece, and that's just fine. So that's what Monday is. On Tuesday, we post this, the Jesus Famous podcast, whatever uh, went out that day, uh, uh, whatever we recorded that Monday, we post on Tuesday, and um, you get that at nateholdridge.com, but obviously the podcast itself, you can, you can listen to it right there uh, at the site, but you can also in Spotify or wherever you get podcasts, listen to the podcast in that way. On Wednesday, uh, I do an expositional post. So what that means is that I'll take a book of the Bible and uh, I'll write through that book of the Bible. So right now on Wednesdays, we're slowly going through the book of Mark together and it's just in written form. And of course, I have audio teachings on Mark as well, but if you'd like to read it, if that's helpful to you, uh, that comes out on Wednesday. And then Thursday is uh, one of a grab bag of things. It might be a secondary podcast, maybe an interview that I've done with someone I find fascinating. It could be an archival post again on Thursday. It could be a um, fresh article that I've recently written, uh, or it could be, um, well, those are the three that could go out on, uh, on Thursday. Uh, also, I post my uh, Jesus Famous Men's Studies uh, to nateholdridge.com as well. That's a monthly study, so those go out on the Monday following whatever Sunday uh, I give those teachings, whatever Sunday night I give those teachings. So all that to say, there's a lot of 
resources there. You can literally go to that page, click on uh, through the Bible and click a book of the Bible that you'd like to study. And I've got quite a bit up on various books of the Bible. Uh, you could go and hit the search button and search for a topic or a text, and it will populate with articles or audio that I've released in the past on that subject, if it finds anything uh, on it. So, you know, just something there for you. You can uh, check out the different books that I've written, etc. Uh, all right there on the site, links to the podcasts, everything uh, available for you. So it's just basically a, a way for, for me to uh, try to be a blessing. You know, when I was 18 years old, I sensed the Spirit of God telling me that I was called to, to teach the Word. And I've really tried to devote myself to that kind of life. So I pray that that is a blessing uh, to you. Now, to this study that we had um, in Nehemiah chapter 11 and 12, I hope nobody's mad at me about uh, or for uh, skipping so many of the long lists here in Nehemiah, especially in Nehemiah 11 and 12. We had a lot of names, a lot of lists. Um, over 3,000 men moved back to Jerusalem in chapter 11. Nehemiah doesn't list all 3,000, and then there's a bunch of priests and Levites that are mentioned in chapter 12, but even though all 3,000 aren't listed, a lot of names are listed, and I just felt that we'd kind of get lost. We'd lose the forest by looking at each individual tree if we um, allowed ourselves to read each one of these names. I mean, it would have taken about 20 minutes, I think, for our reader this Sunday to read through all of those names. We wouldn't have much time left to really just think about what the text is actually saying. But to set up and to remind you or refresh you of the setting there in Nehemiah 11 and 12, uh, the people of Israel had rebuilt the walls and they'd had a little bit of a revival there in Jerusalem through the inter their interaction with the word in Nehemiah 8, 9, and 10. So in chapter 1 through 7, they've rebuilt the walls. That was the main project. In chapter 8, 9, and 10, a little bit of a spiritual revival because they've read the Bible. But now in chapter uh, 11, there's a problem. And the problem is that even though the walls are rebuilt, the city of Jerusalem is not well inhabited. Um, the, the, the city's been a ghost town for about 70 years. It's fairly desolate. Not many people live there and people do need to live there. Why? Well, because uh, quite simply, Jerusalem was meant to house the temple. The temple was meant to radiate with God's glory. God's glory was meant to resound to the nations around Israel, the house of Israel. The house of God was meant to be a house of prayer for all nations. The prophet, prophets and Jesus communicated. So without uh, the house of God being that house of prayer for all nations, how would the nations ever uh, be saved? How would they ever know God? How would they ever have eternal life? So it was a real life and death situation for the people of Israel. And so chapter 11 is about them repopulating the city of Jerusalem. Chapter 12 is about them worshiping God for the fact that he'd built the walls. They have choirs that stand on the wall. They walk on the circumference of uh, around the city on top of the walls, and they're praising God the whole time. So the way I thought about this passage 
is I thought about it from the standpoint of joyful dedication. Dedication, first of all, to the mission of God, you know, to repopulate Jerusalem so that the temple could be popping. Um, and thinking about our mission to bring the gospel to all nations, to make disciples of all nations. Then, I, then we thought about the dedication of their praise to God and how we can praise the Lord as well. And then lastly, we thought for a little while just about how they dedicated their future to God. Because at the end of the whole episode, at the end of chapter 12, they made plans for the future and for the temple in the future to be uh, fruitful and prosperous and doing well. So I hope you're tracking with me today here from Nehemiah 11 and 12. So let's think for a second about the dedication to the mission, first of all. Um, in the first few verses of chapter 11, there's these people, they cast lots, one out of every 10, their number is called. Uh, most of them are uh, workers in the temple, priests, Levites, temple servants, and they move back to Jerusalem. Uh, there are also regular men that move back to support the work. And then there are volunteers, uh, people who willingly offer themselves. Their na name and number wasn't called in the casting of lots, but they decided to go to Jerusalem <clears throat> because going to Jerusalem was a really hard thing in that era. So they were doing a hard thing that lots of people didn't want to do, but they chose to do it. They laid down their lives and their bodies as a living sacrifice. And what I tried to do in the teaching was talk about how, <clears throat> you know, their mission was to repopulate Jerusalem. And if you really think about it, what they were doing was saying, we want to populate Jerusalem so that the nations can make pilgrimage here so that they can know God. For us as the church, we're meant to, it, it's kind of totally reversed by Jesus. The, there's no singular place that the nations make a pilgrimage to. We're to be pilgrims to the nations. Jesus said in Matthew 28, I want you to go into all the world and make disciples of all nations. So, Everything is reversed with Jesus. Rather than a come to the temple, the temple itself, we are the temples of the Holy Spirit. We are to go to the nations. So we got to keep our focus on that mission, in other words, of making disciples. So I want to think about that for a second. First of all, I want to think about that because I, I addressed it a little bit in the teaching. I just talked about fear. And the example that I used in this teaching was the fear that we can feel with things like the uncertainty of our world at this modern time with Russia's invasion of Ukraine, all that kind of stuff. Um, and I, you know, have been asked as a result of this very public, prominent event that, I mean, frankly, if you didn't tune into the news, you'd have no concept that this is even happening, uh, most of you, uh, given your geographic setting. But because we're so tuned in to what's happening and, you know, because we can see the interconnectedness of our world and events happening on the other side of the planet somehow seeming to trickle their way into our daily experience. I mean, we're about to accept what I think 100,000 Ukrainian 
uh, refugees uh, into the United States, at least legally, and then maybe many others who will come through Mexico. Who knows? So our world could be, uh, you know, impacted and changed. You know, I'm hoping and praying that we'll have an opportunity in our church to house uh, some Ukrainian refugees who make their way to the Monterey Peninsula and, Lord willing, uh, become a, a significant part of uh, the body of Christ here by meeting Jesus. Um, but when things like this happen, you know, one question I've heard is, is this the end? And some of that question uh, relates to uh, the you know, prophecies that seem to indicate that Russia will be involved in the last days, the wars of the last time, and pastors who have uh, highlighted those prophecies. And so there are those questions. Is this the end? And then there have been other voices who have said that there's this uh, reset that's happening, a, a great reset that's, um, whether it's a conspiracy or not, it's just kind of what's happening and that this event is part of that. And one of the things I mentioned in the teaching was that, you know, Jesus said in Mark 13, verse 7, that we should not be alarmed when there's wars and rumors of wars, because even though they must take place, the end is not yet. Uh, personally, I don't personally think that these events indicate the end, nor do I think that they are a conspiracy to reset anything. That's not my personal opinion. But the point that I was trying to make wasn't, hey, here's how you should think of it. The point I was trying to make was, no matter what actually is happening, does it really change anything for us as far as our mission is concerned? And, you know, I get that it's a scary thing. You know, it's, it's, a, it's a fearful thing to be thinking about, you know, just how... Um, not just volatile, but how fragile everything that we've come to know and trust is. You know, the fragility of our economy, the fragility of the markets. Everything seems so fragile. So it can be a scary thing. It can be frightening. You know, the Bible speaks about fear um, more than a lot of other subjects. I mean, it's just a, a constant temptation for God's people to cave into fear. I was thinking about it uh, the other day, and I was thinking, you know, what would what would ha happen? Let's say, let's say, you know, the worst case scenario happened, and you know, some kind of catastrophe hit the Monterey Peninsula, and you know, we were running out of food and drinkable water, whatever it might be. And I was just ha kind of having the thought, like, what, what if I, you know, went out and I, before something like that happened, what if I got myself like a six-month supply of food and drinkable water? And, you know, that could be a wise thing to do. There's definitely people out there who say that's something that you should do. It's definitely not my practice. Um, but what I was thinking about was, if I did that, and then if the worst did occur, I just can't envision a way forward where the spirit, where the word of God itself would not demand of me that I give it away. I just can't imagine that that would not be the Christian call of God upon my life. You know, I would, I would have to love my neighbor 
as myself. It would be demanded of me in God's word. So, um, you know, sometimes our, our fears will make us do things that if we really think about, you know, Christianity, what it, what it is to be a Jesus follower, they're not compatible is what I'm trying to say. But I think another thing I'm trying to communicate is that fear is a very natural response to that feeling of fragility in the world that we're in. And I think that's hitting a lot of us in the days that we're in right now. We're realizing, wow, it's not easy to be a Christian. It's not a favored position anymore. Um, I'm, I'm worried about what, to, what, what the things that I say, how it might get me in trouble. You know, fears exist. And so I just, I think in a sense, wanted to t- today to acknowledge that, but say, but still, Though it's fearful and scary, we've got to keep the mission front and center. Now, now let me talk for a second about that mission because I think sometimes we think about it, you know, make disciples of all nations, uh, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Spirit, teaching them all the things that Jesus has taught us. Sometimes we hear that, we kind of nod our heads like, yeah, that's good. But for all practical purposes, we just kind of close our Bibles and we just walk away going, I don't really know how in the world I'm supposed to be part of making disciples. I'm just kind of doing life right now. Um, I'm sure somebody out there is making a disciple. Maybe my pastors are, um, but not me. I don't know how to do that. And I hope that you're having that conversation with yourself and kind of wrestling with that because I think any mature Christian should be a disciple maker. And you can do this in lots of ways. Uh, One is through, and and all of them I should uh, stress, take time. You just can't make a disciple without time. So one way to go about the process of making a disciple is not to attempt to be the discipler yourself, but to be another one of the disciples. So for instance, here in our church, we have uh, disciple groups. And what these are, just groups of men or groups of women, uh, three to five in number, with no specific leader but who for periods of six months commit to a Bible reading plan together and then each week get together for one hour and talk about what they read and how it impacted them, um, what's going well in their lives, what's going poorly or uh, what is difficult in their lives and any sin that might be in their lives. So all they do And then throughout the week, they think of each other, pray for each other, and then meet the following week to discuss the word and those things again. And uh, that's a great pattern to follow because what you're saying in a group like that is that Jesus is the discipler. He's using his word to disciple us, and we are his disciples. We're sitting at his feet. We want to learn from him. No one in the group needs to even be the expert. You might have one, but no one needs to be because you're a disciple of Christ. Uh, That's one way. Uh, Another way is to simply, through relationship building, ask someone, hey, would you like to get together every week or every couple of weeks to just talk about your life, uh, pour over maybe a book that we'll read together, 
and talk about how you're doing, what's going on. Uh, People need that kind of relationship at times. Some people call it mentoring, but that's another way to make disciples. Another way for disciple making is to open your home with that aim of um, sharing Jesus, sharing Christ with somebody, uh, just letting them witness the way that you live, the way that you do things. That's a disciple-making kind of thing. There are many ways for us to pursue the relational dynamics that are required for the making of a disciple. It might be your own children, although I would suggest to you that if you stay within the walls of your home, if you're a dad or a mom, uh, you can get a little home-centric. I think it's good to be thinking outside the walls of your home and to be thinking about others that you'll make an impact to. All right, so dedication to the mission. Now, the second part of the teaching, we thought about dedication of praise, uh, you know, because they had this whole thing where they got the priests and choirs and they sang to the Lord. And in that, I talked about three different kinds of praise, historical praise, you know, where they were kind of connected to like past generations of priests and Levites and what their goals were. They were helping those ancient hundred plus year old goals come to pass. I talked about musical praise, you know, and how they used music to praise God. And we had a little fun thinking about what music is. Um, and then we had testimonial praise. They stood on the walls and praised God. It was testifying to the strength of the walls that they built. And it's this last one I just want to think about for a minute today. Uh, I can't remember if I mentioned this in all of the services. I don't think that I did. But one of the things that I think would be helpful to you is to be thinking about walls that you would like to see built or rebuilt in your life. And by walls, I mean proverbial walls, things you would like to see God do in your life that will take, you know, years perhaps to build, but that you want to watch God perform in your life. And when you can articulate those, kind of set your mind upon them, it helps create uh, not just like a goal that you're trying to hit, but it helps you to uh, kind of say, all right, God, this is something that we are going to be working on together. Um, And I do this, and so I wanted to share a little bit about this with you. I'm taking my jacket off right now, so it's taking me a second to get readjusted here. It's a little hot. I run warm. I don't know if I've ever told you guys that I run really warm. And the terrible part of it is that my wife is on the exact opposite of the spectrum. She like can't get warm. And, uh, so it's kind of a bad combination. So she's always trying to steal warmth from me, but it just makes me hotter. So, um, I love her, but man, I'm really, I'm hoping that she uh, gets warmer at some point in the future, which I've heard maybe that might happen. So anyways, uh, I digress, but uh, I have walls that I'm aiming to build. So years ago, I wrote a document called A Life Plan. I borrowed from a concept from the author, Michael Hyatt. He, after a period of work that you do, asks you to write a eulogy for your life, which I've done. 
and kind of what you would like to be remembered for along with some legacy statements and some main areas of your life. But then he asks you to kind of break your life down into various life accounts. So for me, I put it in, you know, my spiritual man, my soul and my body, number two, my wife, my daughters, my teaching ministry, the people of Calvary Monterey, the leaders of Calvary Monterey, my friends and other church leaders that God has given me a ministry to. And just to give you kind of an example, um, with the spirit, the first category there, uh, for my envisioned future, you know, like this is the wall that I would like God to build in my life in the future. I wrote, I'm strong in spirit. I pray daily for the vision, mission, people, and projects of my life. I read and meditate on scripture every day. I regularly get into solitude to cry out to God and find spiritual restoration. I've read hundreds of books which have fed my spiritual man. I'm hab I habitually fast as a tool to seek God. I'm under pastors who guide and instruct me. So those were just some thoughts I had that kind of came to me about, all right, what, what wall do I want to see God build in the realm of my spiritual man? That description is the kind of man that I want to be. Now, that, that one's not a totally tangible thing. That's kind of like moment to moment. You can have that at age 30 and also at age 80 in its various forms. Uh, but that kind of gives you an idea of like, okay, it might be a wall that I'd like to build. For my soul and my body, I said my purpose, or excuse me, my envisioned future is I'm strong and fit mentally and physically. I'm well-read, familiar with the classics, good fiction, and great self-help material. I'm lean, and I am not embarrassed by my physical uh, state. I have great endurance. I'm able to run a certain distance. I'm able to lift a certain amount. So I kind of listed these things because, you know, for me, I thought, you know, my body's important. I want to be a good steward of it, partly because when I'm older, as much as depends on me, I want to be fruitful in God's kingdom. And I want to have a body that is able to keep up with the spiritual dimension and the callings that God places on my life. Or here's another one uh, with Christina. I said for her, kind of a wall that I wanted to build, I said, I'm completely devoted to my wife and have been devoted to her our entire marriage. She's my favorite person in the world and I am hers. We love spending time together, serving Jesus together and opening our lives to one another. We date one another and enjoy frequent trips alone together. I flirt with her and show her physical affection. I compliment her constantly. I help her discover her gifts and callings and support her in pursuing them. We enjoy one another physically. She, uh, and, and uh, the rest is private. So, you know, all that to say that as I'm writing this or as I'm communicating this, it's like, okay, this is, a, this is an envisioned future. And that's what I'm trying to communicate with the idea of the 
walls that they built. They're standing on these walls and they're praising God for them. And I'm hoping and praying that one day I can stand on these walls, proverbially, that I've spoken of right here and say, God, thank you for, for the way that you did these things. You know, my daughters are next. I kind of have like visions and plans for them. Uh, my next one is like my teaching ministry. So let's see what I wrote there. I said, I'm an accomplished communicator of scripture. I've taught in-depth exegetical Bible studies of much of the Old Testament and all of the New. Much of this content is accessible online. I've written 30 books about the Bible, aspects of Christian discipleship or leadership, and still write in my retirement years. I've got a large email list, an online readership, a weekly podcast. I use the channels at my disposal to dispense God's Word. My teaching and writing on Scripture helps people across denominations as they search the word of God. So some of this is kind of like goals, but you can kind of just tell, like for me, there's this thought, you know, like, I don't know if I'll really write 30 books in my lifetime, but it helps me kind of see, okay, that's like kind of where I want to go. God, I think you're putting that on my heart. You asked me to be a teacher of the word. And so this is a wall that I want to see built. I want to be a Bible teacher and I want it to happen in written form as well. So I think I'm four in or five in at this point and with more to come. So I think for you, as you think about your life, I'd encourage you to be thinking about things like career or ministry or uh financial goals or children or relationships, be thinking about all of them in that way. Like these are walls that I'm building together with God and hoping that one day I can stand on those walls and sing to God in celebration of his help in and uh, towards my life. All right. So I think I'll just leave it there today. We could talk about a lot more here from Nehemiah 11 and 12, but um, hopefully that's enough food for thought. Thanks so much for listening. If you, if you like these podcasts, these Jesus famous podcasts, I'll, I'll admit to you, sometimes Riley and I, we get a little lonely, like, man, how are these doing? And we're just trying to kind of lay down content, uh, that's a blessing to you. So if these are a blessing to you, please share them with people. I mean, it'd be great for you to leave us a positive review wherever you listen to this podcast. That helps a lot. But also just a personal share with someone that you think would be a good fit for this crew. Uh, let them know. Say, hey, I listened to this episode. I was thinking of you. I think you might be blessed by it. So anyways, love you guys. Hope you're having a great week. And um, We'll see you next Sunday uh, for the wrap-up of the book of Nehemiah. God bless you.